Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of State of the Nation, where we do a deep dive on a hot topic. The hot topic this week is Ave V3, the Super return hot. of Ave. Super excited about this new Ave version just launched. We have the founder of Ave on the episode today, and we're going to talk with Stani all about the launch of Ave. We're going to talk about some other things too, David. What uh, what's on the agenda for today? Yeah, Ave has expanded its scope just beyond borrowing and lending. So in addition to Ave, we're going to talk a little bit about Lens Protocol. We had uh, Christina from from Ave on to, uh, on our panel all about social, the Web three social world, uh, which is something that is boiling under the scenes. I think behind the behind the the, the front front page of Web three. Social Web3 is a thing, and Ave, the team at Ave, is kind of leading the charge. So there's so much to unpack with Ave V3, but there's also so much to unpack with uh, Lens Protocol. And of course, Stani has been around since before you and I, Ryan. And so I would just want to pick the brain of an OG DeFi builder that's kind of seen it all. What's he think about the world of crypto in 2022? We're going to get into all of these subjects. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions for him, particularly on that uh, that last piece, right? To be able to pick his brain and talk about, will, will DeFi ever recover relative to ETH? <laughs> what does he think about this new crop of um, DeFi 2.0 builders, this this new class, these, uh, these young hooligans, and are they shaking things up? So a lot more to talk about. Guys, uh, before we get into the episode, want to tell you a bit more about uh, Zirion, our friends at Zirion. They've got an announcement, a special announcement, I think. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. They are releasing a multi-chain world here. A lot more to explore on Zirion. Zirion, of course, is a place where you could take your non-custodial wallet, whether that's MetaMask, whether that's your ledger, you keep your private keys, you plug it into this fantastic interface, and then you could do things. Do things with your crypto money. Imagine that, that's what DeFi provides. Uh, and you could do things cross-chain. So if you look at this, David, I've got Optimism here, I've got uh, Avalanche, I've got Ethereum, across multiple layer twos and also across alternative layer ones. You can also bridge, you can be a bridge or. You can move from Ethereum to Polygon in just one click with Zirion as well. Uh, if you click this More button, you can see Save, Borrow, other things you can do within the Zirion interface. Man, this is a way a bank should be, right? Because this is a, a bankless, user interface. I think every, what, everything we were hoping would come true when Stani started the Aave protocol, now coming true in DeFi with interfaces and aggregators like Zirion. Uh, what else do you want to say about this awesome tool, David? Well, this is going to be particular, particularly relevant because this is a brand new feature in Aave V3 we're going to talk about. It's called Portals because Aave V3 is not on the Ethereum L1 exclusively. It is all across so many different layer twos and other layer one chains. Uh, and so not only is Zerion bridging between all the chains, uh, but so is Aave itself. So I think Zerion is probably going to ultimately be an interface for the many, many different versions of Aave V3 that are deployed all across the crypto universe. Uh, so this is a very timely topic to be talking about a multi-chain, multi-layer two world. Yeah, absolutely. So all you got to do is grab your wallet, your non-custodial wallet, plug it into Zerion. You'll see a link in the invite to do that and uh, get started, track your assets. Uh, David, got to ask you the question I ask at the outset of these conversations, which is what is the state of the nation today? Ryan, the state of the nation is upgrading. This one was easy this week. We are certainly upgrading in Ave V3. This is the state of the nation, of course. Not only is Ave V3 upgrading from V2 to V3, but we are upgrading from a monolithic L1 world to a world of many, many chains. So whether you believe the future is multi-layer two or multi-chain, we are upgrading nonetheless. And so Ryan, 
we are going to explore what does it mean to upgrade in the world of 2022 in crypto. So Ryan, we are upgrading this week. Uh that's a great topic. Guys, I can't wait to talk to Stani. It's been over a year, yeah. maybe more, since yeah. we've had him on the podcast. So can't wait to pick his brain a bit more. We will be right back with Stani. But before we get to the conversation, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. So you've got some money, but how are you going to use it? You want to spend. You, me, shopping now, bro. When you know you should be saving. You'll never buy a house at this rate. But what if you could spend and save at the same time? For the enlightened kind, with inquiring minds, a new world awaits. Set yourself free with completely flexible, self-repaying loan technology. Supported on desktop and mobile, seize the power of Alchemix, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Leverage your wealth without risk of liquidation. Take out a loan that repays itself. By using yield from your deposit to pay off your balance, your only debt is time. What was once inconceivable is now within your grasp. You're winning some. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need L2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest and cheapest and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets back to the Layer 1. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure and ownership is being handed over to the community. You can be a part of this story of Across by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the fair, fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, Go to across.to to bridge your assets between ETH, Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba Networks. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys. And that's why so many in the Bankless Nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. And brand new to the Ledger lineup of hardware wallets is the Ledger Nano S Plus, a huge upgrade to the world's most popular hardware wallet. With more memory and a larger screen, the Nano S Plus makes it easy to navigate and verify your transactions. And the paired Ledger Live desktop app gives you increased transparency as to what is about to happen with your NFT. What you see is what you sign. The Nano S Plus gives you the smoothest possible user experience while you're doing all of your crypto things. So go to the Ledger website to check out the features of the new Ledger Nano S Plus and join the waitlist to get yours. And don't forget about the Crypto Life card, also powered by Ledger. The CL card is a crypto debit card that hooks right into the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to doing, like swapping tokens and staking. So if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and take control over your crypto. Hey guys, we are back talking about the return of Ave with none other than the founder of Ave, Stani Kluchov. He is the founder and CEO of Ave. He's a builder in DeFi before we called it DeFi. I'm pretty sure. You remember the ETH Lend days, David? Yeah, remember certainly. those days? Mm -hmm. uh, now he's expanding his horizons to the world of Web3 and social. We're going to talk about Ave V3, which was just released. We're going to talk about Web3 Social, what that means. We're also going to get his take on the state of DeFi today because Stani is an OG DeFi builder and he's going to lend us a lot of perspective. Stani, been a long time since we've seen you on Bankless, man. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's good to do a comeback here. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Thanks, David. Uh, and 
um, nice to meet all the DJs here too. <laughs> That's right. You know what? So um, we call this episode the return of Ave, but the truth is Ave never left. Mm -mm. You guys have been doing True. stuff. Uh, for a very long time and shipping every step of the way. That's, uh, you know, why, why I think Ave rose to prominence is because you have one of the, 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 the shippiest teams in all of crypto <laughs> and all of DeFi. But um, before we get into kind of the meat of what you've shipped recently with Ave V3, I'm just curious, man. So what have you been up to lately? What's, what's uh, Stani been doing lately? How are you dividing your time these days? Yeah, I guess, um, well, I would say that most of my time goes into, uh, into definitely into the building. So I, I try to uh, spend as much as time as possible uh, in the product side. And of course, a bit on the strategy. But recently, all the time that I, I have more left, uh, I'm trying to vision a bit more where uh, and which direction the Web3 uh, is going towards. And of course, uh, in terms of the talent creation, because the other team is is growing. Uh, I think last time when I was um, uh, in, in Bankless, uh, we had 17, 18 uh, team members at Aave, and now we have uh, almost reaching 100. So we're scaling in that sense. And I, I think the reason actually why we are shipping quite a lot of things is that we have an amazing team that is just uh, dedicated on pushing these protocols and interesting uh, uh, interesting innovation out. So it, it pretty much is a kind of like a uh, team effort. And and I, I think like that's what I realized uh, recently that, you know, if you if you want to go very far, uh, you really need to do it in a team effort way. So that has been uh, my kind of a focus at the moment and finding new new things to, to build, of course. <laughs> Stani, uh, the Ave team has always, in my mind, kind of stood out from the rest. Uh, Ryan said the, the shippiest, which is definitely definitely a, an interesting and appropriate adjective, I would say, to describe the, the Ave team. And DeFi has certainly progressed as well since we've last talked. And in order to kind of set the context for this conversation about the details of Ave V3, I first want to get your take on what DeFi, what crypto, what, what Web3 has really done in 2021 that might have informed some of the decision-making on the Aave team to build certain features into Aave V3. So again, kind of just like zooming out and getting your take, uh, we haven't talked since 2021 crypto happened. So how, how would you just zoom out and reflect on 2021 crypto and, and what it means for DeFi? And how would you say that's impacted some of the decisions, uh, both behind the leadership and decision-making at Aave, and also how that's gone into some of the prioritizations of Aave V3? Yeah, definitely a lot. I mean, uh, when we uh, first did the, built the Aave version one, so we were building a protocol that we imagined uh, holding maybe uh, 20, uh, uh, 30 million worth of value look in smart contracts, um, very early days uh, in 2019, uh, ended up holding um, a few hundred million worth of uh, assets. Uh, and then with the version uh, version two, we were planning that maybe we'll hold a few hundred million, uh, maybe up to billion, and in the current state across all the networks, is is pretty much um, securing roughly uh, uh, fourteen uh, billion worth of value in the smart contracts. So essentially, when we approach the uh, version three uh, up, up, upgrade of the, the the protocol and and the code base, we we took two big initiative. One um, what was very important to us is the risk factor. So we started to realize that 
the ecosystem has started to grow and not, not only in the sense that we have very interesting uh, money Legos, we have very good uh, base um, line protocols uh, from, from lending, from uh, trading, but also that the space has grown uh, and spilled over into multiple networks. Uh, and, and there's a lot of user adoption here. So we realized that these protocols are starting to scale and they have a, a protocol market fit. And what's um, fascinating here is that um, uh, we understood that maybe actually uh, these protocols will be used, especially Aave, uh, in a way that we use HTTPS or IP protocol when we browse the internet. So they might be utilized by everyone um, who has access to finance uh, directly or indirectly. So we started to think like how we can actually put the risk factor in front of how we're building things. We always built in a way that we want to build resilient, uh, safe and secure protocols. But you know, it's people and, and talent who is building. So there's always uh, risk that we need to mitigate. And also there's governance that uh, adds risk or uh, reduces risk depending on what kind of assets or risk parameters are set. So we try to uh, build in a risk averse way. And second thing, uh, what was important for us is the capital efficiency. So many of these uh, protocols are layered in a way that uh, you, know, you might be using one DeFi protocol, but under the hood, there is another uh, protocol that the funds are going and a third one, and, and there's a lot of layering and different kinds of governance levels as well. So the, the capital efficiency played quite a lot of role because we wanted to ensure that uh, it's a competitive protocol that we're building and at the same time, it's scalable in, in terms of uh, risk-wise. Uh, so, and also something that's brand new in the world of 2022 crypto, um, and also later into the second half of 2021, is the an explosion of many, many chains, including uh, many layer two chains, alternative layer one chains. I know you were just at the uh, Avalanche Summit, I believe in Barcelona, Spain, I think? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's just growing ecosystem spanning, uh, like crypto is just spreading its tentacles all across everywhere, including alternative layer ones. And Aave V3 is actually being deployed on, I believe, six different EVM compatible chains. Uh, Polygon, exactly. yeah, Polygon, Phantom, Avalanche, uh, a few others. Which ones am I missing? Uh, uh, Arbitrum, Optimism, Harmony, and of course the Ethereum L1. Uh, and I think that I think that is a great place to start when it comes to Aave V3. Uh, because one of the cool new features in Aave V3 is something that you guys are calling portals. Can you walk us through portals and what is brand new with Aave V3 when it comes to portals? Yeah, definitely. So uh, portals is essentially a feature where we realize that um, you know there's a lot of transaction between one particular chain to another. There's this bridging element. So bridge essentially is a uh, kind of like a community service that is provided by um, uh, a project, a community, or uh, which is usually a multi-signature wallet where you know, it, it holds the transactioning and messaging between one network to another. So for example, when you want to um, access the, the, the Polygon network, but you have your funds in layer one, you have to get them some way into that other network. So essentially what happens is that you will lock your funds in the, the main network and then on the another network, uh, equal amount of funds, uh, maybe subsurface, uh, can't speak anymore even like reduced by the fee <laughs> uh, um, reduced by the fee basically that's the amount you get on the another network and essentially uh, the the challenge with the bridges is that you know moving this liquidity is is very clunky at the moment uh, it takes a bit 
well, actually quite a lot of time. And, and also it's not very capital efficient. Most of the assets are sleeping actually in those deposit contracts. So with this portal feature, we realized that, you know, uh, actually uh, lending protocols like Aave are a very good place to store assets uh, across different networks, wherever those, um, uh, those protocols are deployed. So essentially um, if, if we store assets in protocols like Aave, it means that uh, will be actually interesting if you can move the assets, the, the accounting between one network to another in a way that you have some sort of um, trust component there. And what we created is this uh, portal. So portal is a way to actually uh, get whitelisted by the uh, governance and, and you are able to actually uh, mint and, and burn A tokens um, in a way where you have a credit line. This and this credit line is just for the time that you actually settle the transaction. So, what happens um, in, in in an example is that you uh, you you basically uh, burn a tokens uh, in one net one network, let's say the main Aave market, and mint them in um, uh, Polygon market or Avalanche uh, market. And, and essentially, uh, this feature by itself, when you do this uh, transaction under the hood as a, as a bridge or some other entity, you're able to create services where you could actually uh, deposit into the main uh, Ethereum network and, and actually then borrow on Polygon network and repay on, on uh, let's say, um, uh, later two like Arbitrum or optimistic uh, Optimism. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's a way to move funds very seamless way. And also the risk is reduced to the uh, caps of, of what those ports can do. So even in the portal, there's there's risk mitigation and also there's a lot of space for the community to build additional uh, mitigation tools such as staking and, and so forth. So just to clarify, when you use a portal, you're not actually moving the assets cross-chain. You are like, for example, you're putting Ether into the Aave version on Ethereum, but then the portal allows you to mint uh, new value on a different chain using that collateral in the main Ethereum version of Aave? Or does Aave actually do move the capital, for the actual assets from chain to chain? So the capital doesn't need to be uh, moved from chain to ch one chain to another. So what happens is that basically you, you burn the balance uh, in, in one network and then you basically mint the balance in another network. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, so... You, you are using uh, so-called A tokens. So when you deposit into the other protocol, what happens is that you um, you get A tokens in return. And what these ports are doing, they just are uh, accounting between different networks. And this is how we move funds uh, faster between the, uh, the networks itself. Okay, so you deposit Ether into like the Ethereum version of Aave. You are received an A a ether or an Ave ether, but then you, using a portal, you can burn that Ave ether and then have that Ave ether be minted on like Avalanche or Phantom or Polygon. Is that how it works? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and then, then once to get your capital back, if you so you you always do you, you always have a deposit of Ave of your ether in the Ave version of the Ethereum L1, or does that become kind of owned by the protocol at the layer one, and then you just are have a claim on it later? How does that work? So it's it's pretty much in a built in a way where uh, it's more about the the accounting. So for okay. example, if you burn from one place, you mean in another place. So there's basically kind of like a, the, the accounting balance changes between 
those different uh, markets. And then can you use that A token uh, outside of the Aave protocol? So like once once you kind of do the burn on Ethereum, your AETH on Ethereum, it's over to say Polygon, can I then use it in other places within the Polygon network? Or is this sort of, does it stay contained inside of Aave somehow? It's inside of the, the, the bridging component. So essentially, but you could, what you could do actually um, for, for the users uh, in terms of, for example, functionality, uh, you can build, uh, for example, on the user experience. Of course, the, the binting and, and burning happens in the, uh, in the, um, under the hood, but basically you can, for example, uh, you can deposit in, in one protocol uh, and then uh, you can withdraw from, sorry, in one network and then withdraw in another network but what just happens in, in between is that there's just balance mint and burn, uh, which happens in the uh, uh, portal itself. So it's kind of like a more of a accounting uh, measure and, 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 and basically uh, creating unbacked uh, tokens and then backing them uh, later. That is fascinating. I guess this is not quite like a bridge, but what, what would you classify this as? Do you think other protocols will, will develop this sort of kind of accounting mechanism to allow the quick transfer of value from from one chain to another i think so because you what you create here is is uh basically the speed so you can transfer value from one network to another one uh very quickly and efficiently but also you can create uh cross-chain applications so just to give some example uh many of the features that we created uh let's say in other version one and two uh, we received use cases that we didn't actually uh, uh, kind of like anticipated before. So, for example, with with flash loans, which was one of the last implementations that we had into the the protocol, what we saw is that you know flash loans started to be used in terms of like arbitrage and and a uh, bunch of other interesting um, uh, features. So, I, I think like this feature particularly, uh, the bridging is is one of the um, use cases, but I think the more interesting stuff will happen once once we have a new interesting application coming in and, and developers building things. So I could imagine you could do a lot of cross-chain activity. The, the, the deposit in one uh, network, draw capital in another one and repay in some other network could be one example, but there's plenty of use cases probably in the future for this. What's fascinating to me is because um, there's sort of a, a question, like a the investment thesis question that's popped up on our radar, and I think in the bankless community's radar, which is, okay, we've got the birth of all of these different chains, some alternative layer ones, and also um, layer twos, right? And so the question of, will the existing DeFi protocols and networks, will they spread and kind of invade those chains and maintain market share in those chains? Or will there be a new set of players and a new set of winners uh, that are, I guess, geographic specific, chain specific winners? So not necessarily Aave in a network like Optimism, but some Optimism type of lending and borrowing protocol pops up and starts to like win market share against Aave. But with this portal feature, it feels like what uh, you're doing with with what Aave is doing is it's building sort of a a network effect that crosses chains, right? So like Aave had a massive liquidity net lending and borrowing network effect on the Ethereum main chain. Now with this portal functionality, it seems to like be building a network across 
all of these other chains. And I'm wondering if you think that is one way that uh, DeFi protocols like Aave will maintain their network effect as they spread from chain to chain. I um, I really think so. I, I think it's a one way to say that it's kind of like a competitive advantage in the sense kind of like that it creates a lot of, uh, brings sort of efficiency in how capital floats. But for example, in the version tree, there is other features that are actually, uh, I would say, brings interesting network effect, for especially uh, in high transactioning uh, networks and with lower costs. So for example, we have the uh, high efficiency mode, uh, and we call it also as uh, E-mode, which means that um, you could borrow uh, one particular asset at very high uh, collateral require, uh, borrowing power. So for example, you can borrow 98% of your uh, collateral uh, and it applies to uh, same category of assets. So let's say that you have DAI as a collateral, you can borrow 98% of uh, that value in USDC and, and then you can create different kinds of interesting transactions between stable coins uh, if you want to go long and short, but also like uh, it brings ability uh, to do even uh, a fax trading on chain with with uh, uh, high leverage, for example, if you have a euro stable coin or let's say pound stable coin, and you can go with a very high uh, leverage, which is quite fascinating. But there's other use cases, for example, where you might have, for example, um, staked it as a collateral, and then you borrow, uh, let's say, up to 95% uh, ETH, and you restake it into the uh, ETH 2.0 staking, get the stake date again and, and loop a bit. So there's sort of kind of like a, uh, uh, features and network effects that are actually designed on networks where you have low transaction cost and you need uh, speed. And just the ETH example is, is fascinating because uh, in the other protocol, there is 1.3 or so billion worth of uh, uh, staked uh, eat as a collateral at the, at the moment wow. with relatively me mediocre uh, yeah, borrowing power. So it just showcases like how much you could actually use. And, and there is like a, even like a longer kind of like a idea here is that, you know, uh, if you can, if you're able to leverage and, and have this like liquid staking of, of eat, uh, and it might apply uh, towards to, let's say liquid AVAX and, and so forth. Uh, what happens is that um, lending markets uh, like the uh, other protocol might actually have the staking uh, yield uh, reduced by, by uh, let's say, the cost of the liquid staking. So you don't need to necessarily go and stake to it 2.0. Uh, you could come to the other protocol and you can deposit and withdraw and you know it, the, the, the cost difference will not be that uh, high so that that might happen uh, over like a longer period of time okay okay so we we just talked about uh portals and we just talked about emote a little bit and i i asked you that specific you know the specific question if these are ways for ave to build a network effect across chains and you're indicating yes yes they are i guess i want to ask the zoom out question then too while we're here while we're talking about this because this is one of my burning questions for you going into this conversation stani so we are now in a multi uh, L1 world, multi L uh, layer two world. There's going to be lots of different chains, right? So it's no longer the Ethereum main chain since we we talked to you in you know 2020. Um, so how do you think this works, right? Will we have 
geographic winners, do you think, right? It's so like, uh, you know, rather than Uniswap, you have a pancake swap or something, or like a Trader Joe in, in a Avalanche. Or do you think some of the big category winners that started on the Ethereum main chain will migrate to these other chains and just gobble up market share? I want you to like put on your forecasting hat and tell me what you think will happen. Will we have local chain winners or we have will we have some major uh, category winners that span many different chains? And another way to ask this is, there was a time where I think we thought that um, DeFi would have a whole bunch of blue chip types of assets and blue chip protocols. I think um, this is probably a symptom of price, right? With the, the DeFi Pulse Index and some of these other blue chip categories where D DeFi assets have not risen as fast as uh, alternative layer one assets and other assets. And so people are questioning, well, maybe every chain will have its own category winner of DeFi. And so we can't, there, there's no such thing as DeFi blue chips anymore. Um, what do you think about all of this? Do you think we'll have category winners or geographic winners? Yeah, I mean, definitely the landscape changed completely over the the the, the past uh, year or year and a half. I mean, I still remember when uh, you know David Ryan, me including, we were a bit more like uh, Ethereum uh, maxis. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, and I mean, being born and raised kind of like in Ethereum as well, like it's. It's very funny looking backwards and and being so uh, naive and thinking like you can transaction in 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 a scale where we are today with with, with Ethereum at, at this current state, of course. Uh, but like, I, I I definitely believe that um, what what you can do with the new change is that uh, like new networks you can build new communities, right? So you can take something that already exists somewhere. You know, you can base, you can um, fork that code base and create a new um, uh, new protocol in a new uh, network and and maybe create a community around that. But end of the day, uh, I've seen few other forks and they haven't been super efficient, mainly because um, you know what counts is the uh, community. So how much you can actually build a community around the the protocol. That's that's the starting point. The second is that how much you can actually uh, innovate and what is your rate of innovation. So rate of innovation is something uh, very important to all communities because um, especially when we're uh, uh, innovating in a open environment where all code is public, you know, everyone uh, shares their ideas relatively publicly in governance forums, like what to build next, um, uh, what kind of topics to work uh, and, and so forth. So I, I would say that uh, if the the community can keep up with the rate of innovation and who is able to constantly uh, bring new things uh, into the uh, environment, uh, that's where like kind of like we see a lot of uh, advancements. And it's the job then of the community to actually embrace the technology, support good decision making, govern the protocol, and ensure that risk is managed and 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 also kind of like uh, a bunch of other stuff that happens in in governance. So I, I think like if we have a new network, let's say today, and there is a bunch of new communities there, uh, it might be that some of those na native communities will will spill over to Ethereum, other networks, and they might be uh, they, they might be very expansive. But end of the day, what happens and and uh, will be important is like how much you're building things and how much you're able to make smart decisions as a community, you know, 
what kind of risk parameters you are applying, what are you doing with your treasury? So let's say Aave um, protocol, for example, generates roughly uh, 50 million uh, worth of um, uh, treasury on current annual rate. And that treasury is used to further develop um, a lot of parts of the protocol improvements, technical depth, um, you know, and there's a bunch of protocols sitting on, on big treasuries, but they're not doing anything uh, necessarily. And this is where you can actually can compete a lot. And I think it's very naive even to think about um, a, a protocol that, let's say, uh, is a lending protocol uh, to think in a way that, you know, we are only bound uh, to, let's say, lending or like uh, we will not do trading in the future. End of the day, it's all about how big community and big DAO you can uh, build and, and the network effect. So I, I think it's it's all about innovation end of the day. That's the, fascinating. The cross-chain portals, Donnie, is like such a huge conversation and it's really just one of three big innovations out of out of Aave. Uh, yeah, we have spent so much time talking about it and I'm not done yet because I still have a few more questions about the whole portals thing. And the, the question is, I, it doesn't sound like you guys are using any bridges. You're not using Connect to get to Arbitrum or, or Optimism, and you're not using Wormhole or, or any other sort of bridge to get cross layer one. It seems to be. It seems to me you've built your own messaging system between all the implementations of Aave on all the various chains. Uh, and, and so I'm wondering, how does the accounting work? Is there like a central a central source of truth of the accounting for all Aves across all the various chains? Or is it kind of just between the, if like uh, I deposit Ether on the Ethereum chain and then I want to mint a Ether on Avalanche, the Ethereum version of Aave pings the Avalanche version of Aave to mint that a Ether there because through the portal. How does that communication platform work? Is there one central ledger or is it just a matter of communication between Aves? And can you kind of just talk about the security trade-offs between using an actual bridge versus a messaging platform between the uh, different versions of Aave? Yeah, so there's there's one uh, thing I need to correct is that there is basically the uh, the, the portal is a place where you can get uh, debt as a port. So so a port can be a bridge, for example. So what we what we are planning uh, to do and like how we vision the the portal feature to work is that there's different kind of bridges uh, at the moment. There is a bunch of selection that you can have. You have you can have Hope Protocol. You have uh, uh, Connects and all these bridges. And what the what the, the bridges can actually do is that they can get the credit line to uh, uh, mint and burn uh, a tokens uh, basically up to a certain um, uh, cap, for example. So and this cap is voted by the the other governance, meaning that uh, let's say uh, we have a new bridge that is uh, requesting to become one of the ports and and to mint and burn a tokens, and and then the other governance needs to decide. Okay, so. What would be the amount that uh, that particular bridge, based on you know their technology, you know their community uh, reputation, they they should basically be able to um, uh, mint and burn up to that particular cap. So one thing, uh, so that's just the the starting point. The the second thing, uh, the the phase two will be to think. So if there is the 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 cap to mint them uh, into a certain uh, depth level, uh, essentially how we can actually backstop that main thing. Should there be some sort of like a staking, separate staking module or the current safety module applying to that, um, uh, those uh, uh, 
uh, minting caps or how we should do. And that's pretty much something that we haven't built before uh, yet. And it's more about the the other governance to to kind of like decide whether to apply token economics there or or just uh, rely on the reputation that okay we trust that Hopbridge you know they they basically uh, clear the accounting and and kind of like uh, the there won't be any differences between uh, different networks in their balances. So the, the, it, it, it actually empowers uh, the current bridging ecosystem. Okay, so yeah, so it does tap into the various bridges that are cross-chain, yes. cross-layer two. Are there bridges that Aave has already supported or is that up to Aave governance? It's completely up to Aave governance, essentially. And there is a recently... Uh, a proposal, well, it's more of a governance uh, discussion made by uh, Mark Zeller from, from the uh, Aave Genesis team of a framework of actually how do you apply uh, to become a port in the uh, portal. And essentially, it's just a whitelisting of a particular uh, address of by course, the Aave governance. Of course, the bull case for bridges is that so many users will be porting uh, money across them and and making a lot yes. of uh, volume go across the bridges. But I think people are always forgetting that it's probably actually going to be the DeFi apps themselves that use bridges way more than the actual users. And I think Aave is a is a fantastic example of this. And of course, uh, yeah. just just to reiterate the the significance of a multi chain, multi layer one, multi layer two world is definitely uh, uh, illustrated in how important this portal topic is and why we've given that it so much time. But I think Ryan. I think we're ready to move on to some of the other two uh, big features out of Aave V3. The next one, uh, Stani, is efficiency mode, which, which you alluded to earlier. But can we just back up and start from scratch with efficiency mode? What is E-mode? Yeah, so E-mode is, is really fascinating. So essentially, whatever, uh, if you have a same category asset, so it's same category could be like uh, one stablecoin uh, yeah, collateral against another stablecoin borrow. And that could be like a USD stablecoin collateral uh, euro borrow. So typical scenario is that you could, for example, um, deposit uh, 100,000 worth of um, USDC, USDC into the protocol, borrow uh, up to 98,000, uh, uh, let's say, euro stablecoin, and then you can sell the euro if you are going for a short or vice versa. So. It, it actually allows you to do this kind of like a very efficient um, uh, FX trading even, but also that that's that apply and between two different uh, same stablecoin if there is some sort of arbitrage difference between let's say USDC and uh, USDT for example, but also it applies to same asset categories for example between ETH and and liquid ETH for example staked ETH, and in that use case for example uh, you can. You can deposit your ETH uh, into a uh, liquid um, staking provider, such as Lido Finance, and, and then you get in return stake ETH. You can deposit it back to the protocol and, and borrow again ETH and redeposit and make it more capital efficient of your uh, ETH staking. So you can leverage on, on your staked uh, ETH, essentially. And, and this is the, the, the reason it's more uh, high efficiency is because um, the eat and stake eat they correlate in the same way uh, in terms of the the volatility the same way as for example uh, usdc and and dai they correlate quite closely in volatility because they're pegged into the same uh, currency there's minor differences of course and in terms of let's say usdc collateral and uh, your borrow 
what happens there is that there is just minor amount of volatility because uh, fiat currencies are less volatile than we we anticipate kind of like a uh, the crypto uh, assets to be same applies to uh, uh, Bitcoin and and Bitcoin as an example. Really, the theme I'm seeing here with all these innovations and on all of AV3 is just empowering users to be able to do more, just unlocking the full power of DeFi with more and more optionality for the users. The, the last uh, big feature that I think comes out of Aave V3 is uh, what's called isolation mode. Uh, and I think this kind of really taps into Aave's strengths. And it's really its differentiator from what has perceived to be its historical competitor, Compound, where Compound has been kind of the ultra conservative, uh, very few collateral types, where Aave's... Uh, lends itself a little bit more to opening up more collateral types, allowing for more and more use cases to come about. But of course, you can't onboard every single collateral type because every single collateral type has its own risks. So I think this uh, this isolation mode, which I'm going to ask you about in a second, is really trying to get the best of both worlds, where Aave really lets itself be useful to the long tail of assets while compartmentalizing that risk of those assets to make sure that it doesn't have any contagion to the rest of Aave. Sonny, could you explain isolation mode and what it is and how it's helpful for users? Yeah, and isolation mode is something that actually derives of the um, how the Aave community works and, and and the spirit of the community because uh, the Aave community and and um, David, you gave an example for example in, about Compound. Like in Aave, I think the the community has always been uh, excited about um, uh, listing new assets, and every new asset uh, or going to uh, a new network is always a new opportunity to tap into new user base into new culture. Um, and in case of Aave, there's been a lot of asset listings, but very, very conservative uh, risk parameters. So, so basically the listing has been very um, um, more kind of like a uh, uh, flexible, but then we kind of like compensate in a way where we have just uh, more conservative risk parameters compared to other uh, lending protocols. So essentially we were thinking like, uh, if you believe in the future where all of these assets will be tokenized, real world assets, um, you know, and we have just bunch of bunch of assets depending on um, like govern, used to govern different DeFi protocols or just getting community members together um, in, in greater economy, NFTs and, and, and whatnot. So we just believe that there's gonna be, um, you know, hundreds of different assets that are like um, relatively uh, suitable for um, using as a collateral or, or getting listed into the Aave protocol. Uh, what's important is that we have a way of uh, scaling where new assets could be listed into the protocol in a way where uh, it can happen very early, but the risk is uh, mitigated. So the mitigation here is that an asset can be listed um, by decision of Aave governance in so-called isolation mode, meaning that normally when you deposit into an asset into the Aave protocol, let's say you have ETH and then you deposit Aave, you can use those both borrowing powers and just borrow anything you want. And that's your whole kind of like a uh, collateral that, that is used to, to uphold and, and keep your position. In isolation mode, what happens is that uh, you can use that particular asset as a collateral, but um, in a way that you can't use your other, other assets as a collateral. And, and this means that that particular asset is siloed uh, away from the, the other collateral uh, exposures. And on, on top of that, there's minor uh, addition like across all the assets is the 
fact that we have supply caps everywhere. So each single pool has a supply cap and also the um, uh, exposure, the, the borrow cap as well. So essentially this means that we could list a new asset relatively quickly with a very low debt caps, supply caps, and also uh, isolated. And this brings uh, new communities, users to, to use the protocol. That's really fascinating. And uh, I'm glad Ave is doing that. It will help Ave conquer kind of the, the long tail of, of tokens and get new collateral sources onboarded more quickly. I'm curious, while we're on this subject, um, since the last time we talked, there's been a lot of protocol development. Uh, one protocol, which is interesting, and maybe not this specific one, but the philosophy undergirding it is um, Rari and the, the Rari Capital um, token. And they have sort of a like an ungovernance sort of uh, process, right? There's there's not an actually on-chain vote for um, creating a new collateral pool. Instead, they sort of let the market uh, create whatever pool they want in a permissionless way and sort of price the risk accordingly. What do you think of approaches like like Rari? Is that interesting for Aave or is that kind of counter to, uh, to the premise of what the Aave protocol is trying to do? No, I think it's it's quite fascinating what they're doing, and I, I really appreciate it because essentially uh, governance minimization is an important topic, and it's something where uh, many protocols can actually uh, they can uh, function without governance. For example, uh, protocol like Uniswap could function without governance, but you know the, the governance can actually manage the treasury, and there's a bunch of things that actually. Uh, get all the all those community members together, so it makes sense there as well. In terms of the um, uh, the, the permissionless listing, for example, the in Aave protocol we added a feature into the uh, into the reserves uh, called um, uh, risk ad admins. It's a access control to create additional smart contract logic where uh, you could basically create uh, logic based on permissionless listing, but for example, you could uh, bind it with, with, let's say, token economics, uh, uh, different kinds of staking ideas where, you know, uh, by staking, let's say, um, Aave into a particular asset, you can increase um, uh, the, the loan-to-value ratios, which is the, the, the borrowing powers and even affect the, the interest rate, rate curves. So that is something that can be built uh, further with this risk admin uh, features. Uh, my kind of like a challenge with the the permissionless uh, listing is that how do we ensure that kind of like a uh, right people are using that? But that's also kind of like a UX uh, question. But I think governance minimization is is very important, and I love what they're also doing in terms of the uh, the idea of delegation of of governance. And for example, in our case, like delegation of governance can be um, delegating the listing to risk admins. Uh, delegating interest rate strategies to service providers, uh, such as, for example, Gauntlet. For example, at the current state, uh, Gauntlet is providing uh, dynamic risk parameters. So they are actively monitoring the markets and, and proposing new parameters to the other governance. Now, the challenge here is that uh, every single vote actually requires um, to reach the, the, the other DAO, um, the short uh, time lock quorum. Everyone needs to come together. And you have need to have um, quite a big amount of uh, capital and votes to pass that kind of proposal. But if you have brackets where actually service providers like content could actually um, uh, submit those parameters, you could actually delegate to that entity. And and this decision can be made by the other governance. You know, and it can be like 
pre-delegated in the future again, depending on you know if there is more competition or um, and 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 different kinds of uh, uh, scenarios. So the protocol is ready for that kind of a feature, but it depends on the the governance, like how much they want to introduce risk and if there is more risk or delegation, uh, to what extent as well. But essentially, it's there for 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 the governance and and ready for the version two, uh, three. One thing I love about the Ave community's approach to all of this is Ave is like always moving forward. Like it's always pushing the ball forward. And I think in in a lot of crypto circles, and sometimes, you know, maybe maybe bankless too, David and I, um, we 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 glorify or we overemphasize the value of ossification, right? Ossification, because now no one can change it and you know what you get, and it's a beautiful thing. Only the only the code is in charge, right? No longer humans. Um and like many things about Ave are ossified, but also you guys are continuing to push the envelope and build new features and expand into new uh, horizons. And as I said, you're always moving forward. I'm curious, is there anything else you want to mention about the V3 features? That's kind of one question. And the second question tied to that is, is also like, is there ever a time at which Ave is done? Like is V3 the, the fully ossified version of Ave, or is there gonna be a V4, a V5, a V6, a V you know, 10? Are we gonna have as many Aves as we have uh, iPhone versions? Yeah, how many uh, shows are we gonna do with you, Stani? <laughs> <laughs> What's a year maybe? So those two, those two um, questions, what else in V3 should we know about and uh, when is Ave done? I mean, there's a long list of different kinds of improvements that we have made. Uh, there's there's gas optimization as well and and kind of like a, um, we have also the the ability to um, ensure that for example in layer twos if if sequences are down so there's a kind of like a um, remorse period before liquidation can occur so so there's a lot of uh, smaller features that are uh, specifically related to l2 and and a lot of technical improvements um, but I think also like something that we haven't uh, shilled uh, enough is the fact that we also revamped the whole uh, user experience. So we what we took is that we rebuilt the whole Aave application from scratch, uh, which is was amazing. Um, and, and I'm super excited that we did that decision in our development team because essentially we have an application that just functions well, way better uh, at the moment. And, and the user experience is way uh, more smoother. And, and the thing is that it's a community UI, so it's it's accessible through IPFS, you know, and anyone can actually uh, contribute to that code base as well. One of the challenges in, in DeFi is that you usually build monolithic products, so you want to build, you know, the safe, secure thing, and, and then, you know, it, there's just a, very difficult to contribute as a developer when you come into this space, because you necessarily don't know how to Built uh, smart contract infrastructure, uh, and and you know the front end might be your way to Web three uh, in terms of like contributions. So we did that uh, as well. And in terms of versions, I think like we're trying to actually decentralize more and more the uh, development of the of the ecosystem. And we would love to see more people contributing uh, directly, and and to of course our team as well. Uh, but essentially, I don't think there is going to be uh, an ending of, of uh, innovation. I, I think our, our community loves that. There is enough funding in the treasury. It's a self-sustainable DAO. 
the ecosystem is just thriving. I, do, I just don't see a way where we could stop uh, doing what we're doing at the moment. And so that was all of Ave V3. But what's interesting to me about Ave, Ave the team, Ave the organization, is that just building on Ave seems to not be enough for Stani the builder and the Ave <laughs> team because there's a whole entire other world going on with Ave in regards to Lens Protocol. And uh, Stani, we've had you on for almost an hour now, and it was just about Ave V3. But there's so much more to talk about. So we're gonna have to cut to sponsors here in a second. But there's uh, been some Twitter activity between you and Elon Musk. There's also a growing social media mafia that I think you are growing over on the Ave team. There's a lot of things to talk about with Lens Protocol. Uh, so right after we get back from the break, I want to pick your brain all about that. But first, before we get there, we have to take a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi without giving up custody over your private keys. MetaMask is both a secure in-browser wallet and also a secure bridge for your hardware wallet. You can now trade tokens on any DEX or aggregator. MetaMask Swap gathers real-time pricing information across all the DeFi exchanges, allowing you to select your best price while getting all the MetaMask benefits of self-custody, lower gas costs, and increased transaction success rates. MetaMask also has a fantastic mobile wallet that I use when I'm out and about which I use to collect PO apps, NFTs, and do all my DeFi things while I'm away from home. If you haven't downloaded MetaMask, you gotta try it out. Web3 wouldn't be the same without it. Download MetaMask for desktop and mobile at metamask.io and load up your Trezor, Ledger, Lattice, or Keystone hardware wallets so that they too can get into the world of Web3. Polygon is Ethereum's largest and most vibrant scaling solution to date. With millions of monthly users and all of the biggest DeFi apps, the Polygon ecosystem has turned into a blossoming metropolis of DeFi activity. Transactions on Polygon are quick and cheap, allowing users the freedom to achieve their DeFi goals, all while being economically anchored to Ethereum. But Polygon isn't just the proof-of-stake sidechain. The Polygon team is building a suite of scaling solutions, including Polygon Hermes, Maiden, Nightfall, and Zero, all with different design choices in order to be optimized for all possible crypto use cases. If you're a developer who wants to build on the Polygon ecosystem, go to the link in the show notes to check out their fantastic documentation. And if you're a user who just wants to experience fast and cheap DeFi, you can bridge over your ETH or other tokens and start playing around with any of the thousands of applications that are available on Polygon. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, and we are back with Stani from Ave. And, and Stani, something interesting is going on with your Twitter header on, on the both mobile and desktop. But if you go to the, Stani's Twitter, uh, his header says, this PFP real estate is for rent. And you have your Twitter uh, picture just as a blank white circle. What's going on with that, Stani? What, what, are, you, what are you up to on your Twitter profile? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've been kind of like a, recently like quite a lot of like being very curious about um, uh, social media and and you know how to build uh, more innovation on that side but especially like this experimentation is is pretty much uh, 
kind of like an uh, I would say like an event to raise a bit of uh, funds for the uh, uh, Shifi. Mm-hmm. But also, it's kind of like an interesting experiment in the sense that uh, what if you could actually, you know, rent, uh, you know, your prof- profile uh, picture real estate to someone else or or maybe your header. And uh, to be honest, like the Web2 social media, it doesn't have the kind of like a features to do that. But at the same time, um, uh, it's it's something that's, um, you know, it, it's not part of the the Web2 to social media and how it's, it's structured today. And I think like it boils down towards like a bigger discussion of what ha- we have been uh, talking about at Aave. So we obviously we, we built um, a social graph uh, called Lens Protocol. And one of the main things there is that, you know, you have the ownership of your profile uh, on chain and also the relationship with your uh, followers. And there's sort of things re- regarding towards like what we're building Lens Protocol, but also there's so much innovation missing currently in the Web2 social, which is just um, kind of like a, uh, um, I don't know. I, I feel what I've seen now recently, especially like what we're building with, with Social Graph is that uh, we could actually take the experience way more further and bring the uh, value back to the users. And I think that's, what, that's just part of what we're doing at the, at the moment. This kind of unlocks my curiosity, right? So like, are, are you envisioning a world with Web3 where it's much more open? Like Twitter, you can't do this, but somebody yeah. could create like a composable, uh, some sort of primitive like DeFi plus Web3 kind of mashup where I could just like bid on your profile picture for a week. And like, maybe that's in stable coins or something, but just like I, I suddenly can bid and own rent out your your profile picture for a week and it's all very seamless and automated and you know um i I guess you know taps into the power of your community are these types of features what excite you about web3 or give us some like sci-fi type features yeah because in the current form the way we build web2 social uh how it works essentially is that you know you you have uh different kind of interactions you as a user you you create your audience in a uh, one platform and uh, you can't move that audience from one place to another so you're kind of like bound towards that let's say database and, and the platform and, and so forth and essentially you're also bound the way that they uh, you know the algorithms they use and the way they monetize and collect data so essentially web2 social is, is about uh, capturing the data interactions that you you do on the platform and then selling services and products to you that you might uh, buy. That's that's pretty much how it uh, works. And all the algorithms is adjusted to finding you uh, what you could buy and, and increasing the, the revenue. So at, at the moment, there, there isn't a way actually to um, have a system where you know all the developers just come to, can come together and build competing algorithms, competing user experiences, and, and actually um, allow the users to vote with their feet uh, very easily and go towards applications that are providing them better uh, algos, you know, more algorithms that maybe are uh, exp- exp- have more of the exploring uh, side instead of like this echo chamber that you have in, in Twitter. So what we did is that um, we created uh, a protocol that is essentially a social graph, meaning that you create your profile once and anyone that builds an application on top of the, the Lens protocol um, uh, can leverage of the whole 
social graph uh, user base. So you as a developer, you don't need to focus on actually growth hacking uh, the, the platform and the network effect. And so building social media is very hard uh, these days. Uh, just to give an example, I mean, creating something like Clubhouse takes sort of effort and you have to uh, create a big platform. But here, let's say if you have 10 to 15 applications built on top of the Lens protocols, protocol, they're all growth hacking the same social graph. Essentially, everyone is helping to each other, feeding the graph, uh, providing users and sharing resources. Essentially, it's a public good for, for the whole community. And does this give me self-sovereignty over my social graph? If yes. I'm... And for me, the, the coolest thing is, of course, like I can go and create the, the uh, uh, profile for myself. And that profile is also, there's very heavy use of tokenization. So the profile is tokenized and also the, the, the follow graph is, is tokenized. So for example, when I uh, follow, for example, uh, David, I'm, I'm his uh, first follower. So I will get uh, David follow NFT uh, number one. Uh, and if Ryan is the second one, um, uh, for some reason, Brian gets the follow uh, token ID uh, number two and so forth. And those follow token uh, tokens, NFTs, they always reflect uh, the content that you post. So they're dynamic NFTs. So for example, when um, David has a picture of a dog, uh, the follow NFTs will, uh, as a content posted, those, those follow NFTs will reflect the picture of the dog. So if David decides to post a picture of a cat, the follow NFTs will update dynamically and showcase uh, the picture of the cat. And that's a dynamic NFT. So it essentially makes all the front ends, whether it's an application built on top of the Lens protocol or it's OpenSea or some other wallet, they become uh, by default uh, uh, distribution channels and front ends for the uh, common social graph, which is quite insane if you think about it. And then uh, you can, of course, collect the content. So from those dynamic NFTs, you can actually uh, collect immutable uh, NFTs as well. So if I really, really like the picture of the cat, what can I actually do? I can collect it. But also the collection logic is set by the, the application and, and, and David. So David can basically say that only my followers can collect this or followers uh, token ID, uh, let's say one, sorry, Ryan, and, and then, uh, Alternatively, like maybe token ID too, but you have to have board aid in your wallet uh, as well. So a bunch of logic or you can auction or have limited edition. So the reason why there's a lot of optionality is that the whole protocol is uh, built uh, with smart contracts and everything is modularized. So one thing we learned with the uh, Arbor protocol is that to get a lot of contribution, you need to uh, create pieces of your smart contract infrastructure where everyone can come and create a new module, a new piece, a new kind of a logic. Just to give an example, uh, there's community members that have built um, bonding curve, curve collection logics. Uh, also a very fascinating uh, follow uh, module where you pay to follow uh, to the um, uh, profile owner, and then the profile uh, owner can actually share the revenue of the collects. So you can actually create uh, creator, uh, uh, funding as well and, and share the proceeds of, of your uh, your net your kind of like a broadcasting channel. 
I know David has a follow-up question, but I just I just wanted to make one one comment here, which is like this this early um, I guess analogy we've had about crypto, which is like you know a, a tech tree, a tech tree in a video game that you slowly unlock, and so many of the things that you just said. The reason why Web three wasn't possible in 2016, or um, like Web three social wasn't possible in 2016 or or 2018 or or even 2020 because we didn't have, we didn't unlock the, um, the previous branches on the tech tree. And now we have, right? So like things that, words that use like tokens, right? Well, that came from smart contracts that came from DeFi. Now they're maturing. So we have that primitive that we're working with and NFTs. And now we have uh, that primitive that, that we're working with as well. And now we have like the in raw ingredients to start to create Scale. an on-chain social graph and scalability, right? What, exactly. what you said to you, Sonny, is going to require a lot of block space, it strikes me. So the reason we didn't see Web3 social, I think, in the earlier manifestations is because we hadn't unlocked the tech tree. And now we've got these branches of the tech tree. And now maybe we're ready for Web3 social. But if we are, it feels very much like today, 2022 in Web3 is kind of like NFTs were in like 2019. Like we're just like scratching the surface and they haven't had their mainstream moment. That was my comment, David. I know you got a question though. Yeah, we're a little bit beyond this, but for the public record, uh, David will not be posting cat photos on, on Lens Protocol. Strong strong team dog over here. Oh, nice. well done, Stani. Uh, I'll, I'll have to get that, that Lens Protocol in the stream in, in a second. But just for, for the listeners, here's here's my like understanding of this. And Stani, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, imagine if we had like, Twitter has its specific algorithms. Instagram has its specific algorithm. Facebook has its specific algorithm. But I'm, the way that I'm understanding Lens Protocol is that we can more or less recreate create a lot of these very basic algorithms, but it's the algorithms that become interchangeable. As in like now there's surface area for developers to compete on the best algorithm for the users. And so Lens Protocol, it's not a social media platform. It's not a Twitter, it's not a Facebook. It's a social media meta platform. It's like a meta platform for hosting many types of social medias that allows, um, whereas Facebook is very, very closed and well-gardened and so is Twitter and so is basically every other Web2 social media or like platform, Lens Protocol is the inverse of that. It's uh, you know opening it up to developers to compete to build their own algorithms and their own profiles and their own own uh, platforms for users to have fun in in the ways that you know we always kind of hoped web 2 platforms would would have blossomed into is that is that a good mental model or and what would you add to that yeah it, it definitely is because uh, something we realized with with uh, decentralized finance and, and definitely one of the building blocks that had to happen before that and and you know nfts creator economy is that when you have an open ecosystem where everyone can contribute and 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 there is no kind of like a barrier or the barrier is very low, uh, you will see a lot of fun and a lot of innovation uh, happening. And in terms of, uh, and of course, like open system means that uh, you could build things that maybe you couldn't do in a closed system before. So essentially, let's say if you have an open social graph where you know anyone can pretty much like create their um, uh, profile and their, their follow graph. And, and by the way, uh, this is amazing tool also for uh, DAOs because, um, uh, first time ever a, a DAO can actually uh, own a permissionless uh, uh, profile and, and, and also have a uh, broadcasting channel to their audience. So for example, the Ava DAO can create a, uh, uh, and own a lens um, uh, handle. And what it means that if you have a big smart contract change or 
any kind of government governance uh, update, part of that smart contract payload, you could also have, you know, post this um, uh, change log or the output of this governance decision uh, also into the lens uh, protocol to, to all the uh, uh, followers. So it's a way to also create permissionless uh, handles for, for DAOs. And I think that's gonna be an interesting and fascinating uh, use case. But just to give example, um, you know, when when you have this uh, open social graph, uh, you know, then the the uh, builders uh, they don't need to focus of actually you know getting a lot of users. They can just innovate on on the front end level. Maybe there's something that you could do better on on Twitter. Maybe you can create completely new experience. And social media has always been about how you interact with the content and finding new ways, which, for example, we saw with uh, with TikTok and also algorithms. And TikTok, for example, rewards uh, things that go viral uh, very quickly and, and people um, yeah, like the, the content they like. And maybe uh, it allows also to, to build those new algorithms. So let's say, for example, that uh, algorithm that rewards uh, something to become viral might not be very healthy or you know, you could actually build an algorithm that is uh, more humane um, and or, or algorithm that is just uh, somehow finds you content that you really, really like more and you're, you're not bound to the, the platform. So you have the battle of uh, like front ends um, competing on the user experiences and also finding new application, niche, social media. And also you have the, the, the kind of like a, um, a competition between algorithms. And then uh, I could imagine uh, one particular front end where you come and you can actually uh, choose different user experiences, but you could also uh, choose which algorithm you want to use. So you could actually, you know, drop down and select um, or swipe different algos, you know, and it, it just brings sort of opportunities to the, the developers. And recently we had the uh, Aleph Grow Hackathon, which is the first like Web3 social media hackathon that we did uh, with the global team. Uh, we had over 530 hackers and, and 116 uh, different projects being hacked. And it's just insane how many young developers are out there and what they can actually build in a short period of time. And we saw multiple front ends being built in a period of a week and a half. Well, Stani, I think I missed you at East Denver, but this very much uh, aligns with the talk that I gave there, which talks about how um, where Web th Web 2 protocols, when Web 2 algorithms are competing to produce rage, Web 3 protocols are competing for our love and affection. So I would imagine that uh, something with Lens Protocol would finally enable people to opt out of the rage algorithm and perhaps opt into the love and affection algorithm. Uh, that definitely sounds like a, a positive future for us. And uh, very much in line with the very shippy nature of, of Ave. Uh, you've uh, poached some pretty interesting talent from around the Web2 sphere. Uh, the lead data scientist for Twitter Stories is now on the team Ave. We already talked to uh, Christina, for, who uh, was lead uh, TikTok business development. You've also poached some, some pretty high-quality talent from, from Apple as well. Stani, what's going on over there? Are you building like a social media mafia? How, tell us about the team that's being built over uh, behind Lens Protocol. Yeah, I mean, we had definitely amazing hires uh, in the past year, and I'm, I'm super proud how much of our team actually is. Um, uh, there is like a lot of combination of uh, uh, community members from the Web3 and, and who has been in the space and, and are very experienced in, experienced in smart contracts and, and talent coming from 
uh, Web3 and also uh, more from fintechs as well. So it's kind of like a very diverse set of, of, of talent that is coming into Aave. And, and definitely, I, I think it's uh, amazing opportunity at the moment that we are able to attract a lot of people from different kinds of industries and especially from big tech. I think um, there's also some sort of realization with uh, people that I talk and talent from, from big tech in terms of like what Web3 as an opportunity means and, and how we build things and how the community aspect um, is important here. And, and I think like many uh, folks that are working in uh, big tech and, and these big social media companies, they're pretty much like tired in the models of, of um, having kind of like to build applications where you have, uh, basically extract data from users and kind of like provide the same uh, behavior of, of selling services. And, and the proposition of user on network is just a big value proposition and networks that are actually um, kind of like uh, bound by the, um, uh, governed by the, the DAOs. Uh, and I, I think uh, we will see more and more uh, talent coming into the space. So I'm super excited to uh, to hire more. So if anyone is out there, so just uh, <laughs> reach me out um, and, and, um, and, you know, let's talk more. Is there a roadmap for Lens Protocol? When, when do I get to go play with it as a non-developer, as a user that needs the developers to build some stuff? Uh, what should I be paying attention to with the future of uh, Lens Protocol? Yeah, I think if you go to docs.lens.dev, so docs.lens.dev, um, you have an amazing documentation that is done by our engineering team and our, our, our content team try to make it as beautiful as possible. Uh, you can actually uh, interact directly with the smart contracts, but also would build a very powerful API. And the API means that actually you can extract data from the uh, from the protocol without uh, in an index fashion. So, for example, if you want to get all the data about different kinds of um, you know photo um, modules or or even NFTs that that the a particular wallet uh, address has in in mainnet or Polygon, you can do that with the, the API. So it's it's a way of actually helping people to build faster uh, social media applications. And what I want to see more maybe in the future from developers building actually community uh, front ends that can be forked by anyone and, and we can just uh, innovate as fast as possible in the space. Stani, uh, we've talked about Ave V3, which has been awesome. The, the return of Ave, even though Ave never left. Um, and we also talked about just now Lens Protocol, what you're doing in the Web3 space. Why don't I just round this out and close this out, uh, getting getting kind of your, your OG veteran hat a little bit and your perspective on the space right now. So number of things going on that, that uh, we, we could talk about. Um, and one, one question I think I have for you right now is, uh, it seems like a lot of the the value and some of the the attention, at least in the Ethereum space, has been uh, sucked out of DeFi recently. If, at least if you look at kind of token uh, market caps and gone into Ether, right? Uh, so the uh, the DPI to ETH ratio has been has been bleeding, um, and people are wondering if DeFi will will recover against the value of ETH. What's your take on this? Are you are you bullish on DeFi? I'm I'm sure your answer is going to be yes, but like, how about relative to Ether yeah. as an asset, as denominated in Ether? What do you think? 
<laughs> uh, swap my background to Abe. Uh, so I'm putting my DeFi cat on. I, 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 cap on. I, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, no, I, I, I think these protocols are made, meant to stay and, and maybe not the technology itself, but say, but uh, what is the surplus is the, is the DAOs and the, the treasuries they're collecting uh, and, and the ability to innovate further. So I, I think what happens is that uh, over the period of time, those communities that can constantly continue innovating securely uh, and bringing new things into the space um, will definitely thrive. But I think in terms of like user adoption, especially with the layer twos and other networks, we will see more and more users coming. And I really, really believe that uh, Web3 protocols are meant to, you know, be scaled something like IP or HTTPS, where they're in in a very quite mainstream adoption. It will take time to get there, but the important thing is to realize that Web3 networks they don't need to grow to, like fast, as in Web2 platforms, for example, and especially in social media. If you don't have a successful platform in the next in in the couple of years, you kind of are in the graveyard zone. But in Web3, you know, uh, networks can propagate very slowly, whether it's social media. Good example is ENS. It has been around for years and it's slowly growing all the time. Uh, uh, POP as well, for example, started one person giving uh, proof of attestation in different events and it's growing into a protocol and, and so forth. So over years, so everything doesn't need to actually be very much like fast tech here in, in Web3. And that's, I think that's, that keeps me calm and, and excited to build new things. Another rapid fire question for you then. Uh, so what's your take on alter alternative layer ones versus the L2 ecosystem on Ethereum? Do you think uh, one is going to outcompete the other? Do you think that there's room for both? Uh, just general thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I I think there's room for everyone, but the market share depends on, on how much there is innovation in all of these communities. And, and, and kind of like, uh, and, and the community support there. So I, I think all of them will exist, but then market share will depend on, on how, how much we see uh, those communities building. How about this new crop of uh, DeFi builders that we've seen lately, and like uh, under a moniker of uh, DeFi 2.0, it feels like there's some, uh, there's some DeFi Zoomer blood out there, some Gen Z blood Definitely that some cultural are building some new things. Yeah, it's cultural differences from the DeFi class of 2018, 2019, the DeFi class of <laughs> 2021 and 2022. What, what do you think of these uh, these new DeFi builders? Are, are you right saying I'm, I'm, I'm older? Or what? I'm saying all of us <laughs> are old, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> We've all aged two decades in the last two years. <laughs> one, one year in um, uh, DeFi is 10 years in... <laughs> That's 10 right. years in normal life and, and 100 years in TradFi. So, <laughs> yes. uh, no, I, I think it's amazing that, that there's a lot of uh, young people out there building decentralized finance. And I think, I think one observation is that the more young, younger people we have, they're more smarter. So I don't know how, where this kind of like a wisdom comes from, but uh, it, for me, like it even takes a lot of time to understand some of these protocols and, 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 I need to put a lot of effort in investigating and understanding them. So I think it's good for the space and I would rather see more and more innovation. And if there's someone out there who actually wants to work together, even, you know, feel free to, to uh, message me. I'm, I'm happy to, um, to, 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 to help as well. 
There you go, guys. One of the OG builders in the space just invited you to message him if you're building something <laughs> <cool>. interesting. <laughs> Sonny, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, we always appreciate your vision, everything you're doing in crypto and in DeFi. So thanks for taking us through all of this. Really exciting to see Ave V3 launch. Really exciting to see what you do with Lens in the future and all of the other things that you're probably going to build in crypto as well. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, friend. Thank you, David. This is this was amazing. Amazing reunion. Cheers, Absolutely. Let's, let's do it again less, in less than a year next time. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's definitely do that. Um, yeah. Bankless community, some takeaways for you. I hope you were listening very intently and carefully. Uh, it seemed to me in the first part, we talked a little bit about investing in the community. That's what you are doing when you're, you're buying a protocol. You're not just buying one static idea. You're investing in community. The best coordinated DAOs and protocols will win. And they are not limited to what they do when they start. They can evolve in many different directions. We've certainly seen that with Ave. Um, guys, if you are on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe to this. If you are listening to this on the podcast, give us a review. Give us five-star review, preferably. That's how we get Bankless to the top of the charts. Um, risks and disclaimers. Got to, of course, end with these. None of this has been financial advice. Bitcoin is risky, even though we didn't talk about it. So is ETH, so is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It isn't for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.